In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. For days we've had the opportunity to contemplate and to see Mary as Mother. And today, on this great solemnity where we finish 2018 and prepare ourselves to begin 2019, we want to spend this little bit of prayer, this bit of time to remind ourselves of how important and how transformative that relationship that Mary has with Jesus can be for us. Because we need to be reminded of just how close Jesus is to us. And to, be, to contemplate Jesus as an infant and Mary as his mother, it would be harder to think of a more closer, intimate relationship. I don't know if it's our sinfulness or our weakness or probably just our human limitation, but we have a very strong tendency to always somehow imagine that God is very, very far away. He's distant, that he's going to be present in the thunder, he's going to be present in the lightning, he's going to be present in the miraculous. But in an infant waking up in the middle of the night who needs changing, in a small child who needs to be bathed, in feeding him, in cleaning him, and that that is God. And the love and the tenderness that a mother has for a baby born in that way, all of her eyes, all of her attention is on him. And she realizes that he is hers and that she has to take care of him. And her thoughts and her dreams and her desires are all about him. That's how close God comes. That's the kind of intimacy and union that Mary has with Jesus. That is what it means when we say, and we could unpack it even more, and we could start doing all sorts of other examples, but that's what it means when we say that Mary is the mother of God. It's not something merely or something simply spiritual. It, it is human and divine at the same time. And for us, when we see that and we see it represented artistically, so often Mary praying before the infant Jesus. Unfortunately, there's not much artwork showing, and maybe it's proper that it be such, that you know, Mary changing Jesus, bathing Jesus, having Jesus spit up on her and having to clean that up and you know, the real things that happen with babies because Jesus wasn't an angelic baby. He was true God and true baby. 
and that too is revelation and that perhaps that part of us that resists somehow allowing God to be that close what is that what is it that makes me somehow feel that that recoil a little bit from this small child who puts out his arms towards me and wants me to pick him up and me to believe that he is reaching out for me? Is it my sinfulness? Or is it my shame? That inadequacy that we've considered? That sense that I would simply be out of place because of the things about myself that I continue to reject and wish were otherwise, the humiliation that I feel from my failures and my sins. Not humility, humiliation, which is very different. What exactly are the things that make this incredible proximity, this closeness of Jesus, seem like something I hear other people talk about, but never really get around to experiencing myself. Maybe I'm afraid it would be too much. In a very strange way, it can happen that sometimes we're afraid that we would be, I don't know, too happy. It's unbelievable, like. And therefore, we stand back and we get philosophical and theological and we are reasonable and proper. And we think it's fine and it's grand that Mary has that relationship with Jesus because she's immaculately conceived, of course. Of course, she's going to have a special relationship with Jesus. She is the mother of God. I mean, who am I? to think that some sort of closeness like that would ever have anything to do with me. So I'm kind of off the hook, you know? Not going to be that close to Jesus. But what does the gospel tell us? The one day Jesus was in a house in Capernaum, and many people were crowded around to see him. People all eager to be around this famous, well-known miracle worker, this prophet from Nazareth. And they couldn't even fit inside the house. And people were in groups, in a scrum around the outside of the house. Everyone trying to get close and to listen. And at a certain point, the message gets passed from one person to another. And finally, someone close to Jesus says, outside your mother's, she's, she's asking for you. Waiting for you. Everyone hears that and everyone assumes and imagines, oh, well, He's got to go now because it's his mother and his cousins and his family. Because obviously they have a claim on Jesus that, that we don't have because you know, we're not that close to him. It'd be crazy to think that we'd be that close to him. But we remember the shocking thing that Jesus says. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers and who are my sisters? And St. Mark tells us in his gospel that looking around at all of these people who were there, perhaps some of them being people who had heard him for the first time, intently 
piercingly, he looks around at each and every one of them and he says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and brother and my sister. Here are my mother and my brother and my sisters. Jesus indicates them as having that special relationship. And in doing so, Jesus is trying to to reveal that intimacy with him, connection with him, union with him, is not primarily a biological thing. It's not DNA. It's not genetics. In that sense, obviously, he has a unique and unrepeatable relationship with Mary. Only one person could have been his mother. But Jesus goes deeper. And he opens up this possibility of closeness that precisely because he is also God, that he is fulfilling in an unimagined way People before couldn't even have, have, have dreamt of it or, or even prayed for it because it never would have crossed their mind. He is opening up the possibility of being a brother, but not metaphorically. St. John and St. Paul are at pains to insist upon this point when they're writing to the first Christians. Brethren, brethren, we are children of God. Not only do we call ourselves such, that is what we are. And why are we children of God? Because we are, have been united to Christ. We are his body. We're one with him. And therefore, just as he is a son of the Father, we have been brought into that. And, and this is where we start using broad and in and infuse and all these words that just are very clumsy and inadequate to describe something that we would like to just experience at the level of life and of grace. So when we look at uh, Jesus in Mary's arms, when we are moved, as we understandably are, to see that tenderness, to see Mary gently blowing in his face, and the smile that Jesus has as an infant, and touching him on the nose and his legs waddling, all the way that our imagination can run away and it does well to do so. For us to not think that that love and that closeness is something that I can just look at and admire but then walk away from. It is for me. Jesus is not only that close. God is not only that close but he wants that sort of connection with me. From the very beginning, God has wanted this sort of intimate connection, but he wanted it not just by making announcements, you know, or sending messages, kind of, I don't know, planes going over and dropping off little pamphlets, you know, announcing the covenants and these sorts of things. God came to form familial bonds with real people. And his promise was that I will make of you a family. I will be your God and you will be my people. That kind of closeness. And it's not only closeness, it's the uniqueness. 
You know, There's another aspect. I don't think I'm just saying something that's a synonym. Not only does God come close, but the relationship that he established is unique. It's unrepeatable. And again, this is where it's, it, it, we have to go beyond our normal uh, human way of thinking about it. Because we're like, well, I mean, is it that unique? Because there's like a million other people in the same position, you know, so seems pretty generic to me, or more than a million, there's billions and billions of people who've, who have been united to God in this way. How is it particularly unique? And well, this is why Jesus says to those who listen to him, here are my mother and my brother and my sister. He speaks about uniqueness in relationships. Do I believe that I can love God in that way? Do I believe that he wants to come that close to me? Is it something that I desire? And if I do desire it, what could I point to is ways in which I try to put that desire in action? Because it's not just enough to sit back right now and say, yeah, nice, and I see that. But what am I going to try to do? What needs to change? What is the revolution that can take place in my life so that this closeness, this uniqueness of my relationship with Jesus can be something that shapes more who I am and what I do? Now, when Jesus is in the house of Capernaum, he turns around, he does put a condition on this relationship. Is who is my mother and who are my brothers and my sisters? He says, those who do, do the will of God, my Father. And again, that might be another way in which we say, oh, well, that's me out, you know, because I really don't do that so well. Huh? You know, I knew I wasn't going to get in. Huh? You know, because I don't always do that, and, and I kind of do it half-heartedly, and I fail a lot when I try. Who exactly were the people who were listening to Jesus when he told them that they were his mother and his brother and his sisters? We don't even know. The gospel doesn't say. They were just Tom, Dick, and Harry, people who were there from Nazareth. Were they perfectly executing the will of God in a constant daily way? If the 12 apostles weren't, they probably weren't either. What were they doing? They were listening. They were willing to be forgiven. They were shameless enough to come close to Jesus, go out of their way, sacrifice, not worry about what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were saying about their being there, perhaps even risking members of their own family to think they had gone crazy. They were trying. That's what they were doing. They were trying. And that is what God is asking us as well so that we can have that relationship. That relationship is not the prize of moral excellence. It is the starting point of the life that we live with Christ. It's not something that we arrive at, it's where we begin.
And yes, the more we grow in the virtues, the more we free ourselves from uh, the, 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 the division and the fractures of sin, the more capable we are for that relationship to, to grow and to flourish in us. Of course. But it's always there, given to us as a gift. So therefore, why do I hold back? Lord, give us the sincerity, give us the shamelessness to overcome any awkwardness, to overcome any sensation of being out of place or not up to it, or anything that involves us overthinking ourselves. You are the one who have taken the initiative. You are the one who calls us. You are the one who have joined us to yourself. Just as you did with your mother Mary. God is always the one who takes the initiative. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary in Nazareth, he didn't find her praying that one day she would be the mother of God. Obviously, it never crossed her mind. It wasn't anything that she had, it even occurred to her to even desire. But God takes the initiative. And the, the, the Christian vocation that God is calling you and I to live, loving him with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and to be the face, the heart, that other people in which other people see and discover the love of God, that vocation is not something we've invented for ourselves, it's something we've received. Because Mary's being the mother of God was not only her experience of the closeness of God and the uniqueness of her relationship with God, it was also the experience of receiving a mission as she was to discover. Because Mary's motherhood didn't end with Jesus. It only started there. And it went to John at the foot of the cross. And from John to the foot of the cross, it's reached out over time, eternally, to each one of us. Precisely because Mary was without sin, precisely because God in her death united him, her to himself in the assumption, he has taken that maternity that one time expressed itself in those late night vigils, in the nursing of Jesus, in those caresses, in the songs that were sung, and the teaching him how to speak and how to read, bandaging him when he smashed his knee, falling down the stairs. All of those gestures, all of that care, all of that affection is now directed at you and is directed at me. Because when she sees you and when she sees me, she sees her child. Because God has opened up that relationship to each one of us. And this, this interplay is, is what our contemplation of uh, the scene in Bethlehem needs to involve. We see and we are moved by what we see. But then we need to come and understand that that's related to me that what I see there is also for me. And that as I am moved by what I see,
to not say, you know, kind of again, to use this example again, that I'm not looking in through the shop window, but it's something that I can, I can take for myself. As we, as we come to the end of the year, it's also very understandable and important that we give thanks. That we give thanks for the very objective things that might have gone well for us this year, and, the, and, and I leave that up to you to think and think about and to consider. Each one of us surely will have things that we want to thank God for. Perhaps even the things that have gone sideways and have maybe blown up in our face, there's ways in which we have grown closer to Him as a result of that. Just simply the fact of, of life itself. The more we foster and nurture an attitude in a spirit of gratitude, the more we open ourselves up to the reality of God's closeness and the uniqueness of our relationship to Him. So we should give thanks at the end of this year. And as we give thanks, we look forward, hopefully, to the year ahead. For the things that God wants to do in your soul and in mine, for the ways in which He wants to use us as instruments to bring people closer to Him, for the good and the bad, for all of it, for us to have this deep conviction in God's goodness in my favor, that in the end, all shall be well, because all things work unto the good for those who love God. <coughs> that that's actually true. It's not just a little kind of biblical thing that we say to console ourselves when things go wrong. It's actually wisdom. It's insight. So for us to give thanks, for us to have hope, for us to rely on Mary as we look forward to this year with a renewed sense of mission and of purpose. Because this closeness of God means that God has not gone away. That's the reason why we shouldn't be pessimistic about what we see. No matter how much news you read or how much you listen to or what you watch, for us to not give in to that pessimism, especially the news and things we hear about the church and the life of the church, which it seems, and at least in the last year, to be at one level a constant crescendo from bad to worse to horrible. Okay, all shall be well. All things work unto the good of those who love God. And we look forward with eyes of hope. And that doesn't involve us sticking our head in the sand. It involves us laying our head in Mary's lap where it belongs. Where she invites us to confide in the goodness of God who is committed to us, who is at our side, fighting for us, with us, and through us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.